to Chalky the Funkmaster for the theme song that has everyone smoking a bong and watching King Kong. This is Old Movies for Young Stoners, the podcast that pairs classic, forgotten, and just plain weird old movies with the right kind of green bud. This week, we are doing heavy drugs with horror icon Vincent Price. Brace yourself. Prepare to have your God-fearing farm-bred prayer fat and morality shaken to its core. See, I have become what is vulgarly known as a drug addict. Yes, you've heard him in Michael Jackson's Thriller and seen him terrorize the Brady Bunch. But we've got Vincent Price getting wigged out on opium in Dragonwick, a gothic romance from 1946, and mainlining liquid LSD in The Tingler from gimmick master William Castle. We might pass on the opium, but we'll still be plenty high right here in episode two of Old Movies for Young Stoners. And we are back. I'm old movie weirdo Bob Calhoun, author of The Murders That Made Us, A True Crime History of San Francisco, available now from ECW Press. Now, I'm the guy on the weed show that knows nothing about weed. But here to help me are my co-hosts, and they both have long personal histories with stuff. First, <laughs> he is creative director of Six Point Harness, the animation studio behind the Academy Award-winning short film Hair Love, Adult Swim's Laser Wolf, and Tignataro Drawn, now streaming on HBO Max. He is Greg Franklin. Hello, everybody. And next, he is our cannabis sommelier and your guide on the Hollywood punk rock graveyard tour, a socially distanced walking tour visiting the final resting places of some of punk and goth's biggest legends. You can search for it on Facebook or go to punk rock graveyard tour on Instagram and book your tour today. He's our good pal, Corey Sklar. Hey, Bob. Wow. Uh, Vincent Price. I am so high and I can't wait to talk about him. Okay. Now, now, you know, before we get into our Vincent Price double feature, uh, we 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 have we have a show. We have a show. It's uh, live. It's it's online now. It's on SoundCloud, Apple. Spotify. Oh my God, podcasts! It's live. There, we could do it. Everybody, everyone could listen to us. That was amazing. I, you know, this thing happened and it worked out, and I'm couldn't be happier with the final product of episode one. I think the response has been pretty good too. 59 59 listens 59 uh, plays that's nine more than i listen to it so that's good well done everybody good work <laughs> we've got the tools <laughs> and the talent uh, you know, uh cory you're you're itching before we get going you're itching to talk about the new trailer for baz lerman's elvis I'm ready for Baz Luhrmann's Elvis, this hyper-reality Elvis. He looks nothing like Elvis. I can't believe people are still even talking about Elvis, the, you know, the king of rock and roll. I, I wonder if this Baz Luhrmann movie is going to get kids into Elvis. We'll see. It, it could just be an avalanche of Twitter hatred. Well, here's Elvis. my question to you, too. I have never been to Graceland. Have any of you been to Graceland? No, I have not. It is my number one destination. I want to go to like not 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 the Eiffel Tower, not the Great Pyramids. I want to go to Graceland. How about like I haven't been to Graceland either. So how about how about old movies for young stoners goes to Graceland? Oh, oh road man. trip. We, we do a show and we talk about we get we get stoned outside of Tennessee. We get stoned in Colorado on the way over there. 
and we talk uh-huh. about loving you and maybe jailhouse rock and- oh bob i want to take a picture of you in front of that tv he shot out i can't wait i'm so <laughs> i am so down for this road trip and we should rent like one of those mm-hmm. like like big old uh whale cars from the 50s you know what i mean well uh to, to drive down but um i had the chance to go to graceland once i was in tennessee for a wedding and i had one day off and i could have either gone to graceland or dollywood and i chose dollywood and it was the wrong choice dollywood sucks and i should have went what? To it'll be it'll be it'll be forever my regret yeah dollywood is just a bunch of extreme roller coasters and not a lot of dolly stuff that's my opinion uh-huh. on it. also there's no booze there at all and it's like really really i mean it is conservative town you know like the center of america but um you could go see dolly's uh dressing room there which is pretty cool and there's like um a captain eo like dolly show where some actors work like they act out her songs and stuff and it rains in the theater it's pretty cool oh wow is it graceland's got to be way better no it's not 3d (laughs) I, i will say this when i saw i saw the elvis impersonator and this is like 12 years ago now during a star trek convention at the hilton the vegas hilton i saw the elvis impersonator act they had trent carlini the dream king he kind of looked like El- ray liotta playing elvis but yeah. we like rosie and i were the waitresses best friends because we were the only ones drinking like everybody else all these kind of <laughs> southern southern families were just not they were having a coke and that was it yeah, and we were wow. the ones getting bombed through the whole thing so the waitress was like she was practically just sitting at our table waiting for us to order something <laughs> that's incredible oh, yeah dollywood has no booze there we we found the one bar in Dollywood and it's in the basement of the hotel because Dolly, they like the, 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 the builders, the investors are like, we got to have some sort of booze Dolly. Yeah. This was her one compromise. She's like, okay, if it's hidden away, then I'll put one bar there. And the bartenders were miserable. There was no windows. It was dark. It was so crazy. So I'm like, I, I bet there's, they're more booze friendly at Graceland. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I would imagine. Considering <laughs> I wouldn't, I wouldn't bet booze. on it. But if we want to do Graceland right, old movies for young stoners, mm-hmm. um, and do it legally in the state of Tennessee, is to save up any painkiller meds you have, you know, with your name on it on the bottle, and that's what we <laughs> take when we go into Graceland. Look, a doctor gave it to me just like Elvis. Look, you do that, Bob. I'll be, I'll be the the designated driver. <laughs> somebody's got to drive that pink cadillac i wonder if elvis ever met vincent price oh i'm mm. sure of it i uh, it had oh uh vincent price is in an elvis movie he is in god it's chautauqua it's the chautauqua. wow bob bob pulled that out <laughs> amazing uh, uh what was that movie called though? wow uh the trouble with girls and how to get into it which is a title like it, it makes no sense. And it's about this kind it's, it's a period piece. It's set at like the turn of the century, like 1901 or something. And there's this kind of traveling convention of, you know, it's the Chautauqua, which is like, there's all these kinds of talks, you know, like, like Vincent Price is giving a talk on something like he's some, professor. you mean like a seminar? <laughs> yes. He's yeah. giving a seminar. And so it's like, Oh, it's uh, like John it's Carradine like the... is also giving a talk. Like basically, old the horror stars are giving <laughs> talks at this thing, and Elvis is the guy running it. And you could tell it was a movie that had probably been sitting around MGM for about ten years, and it was supposed to be like a more serious film, 
with Glenn Ford or Burt Lancaster or somebody in it. And then somehow the script finally made its way to Elvis. It's a very <laughs> odd film. There's, there's, there's like crimes and rapes in it. And it's like a moving drama, oh, but man. Elvis still has to sing songs. Like once you enter, once Elvis enters, there are songs, but Vincent Price is in the film. I'm giving seminars, baby. Vincent Price, we got Vincent Price giving a seminar. He's going to talk about. <laughs> he's going to talk, talk about, about the nature of fear. Coming. We're right talk up. about uh, timeshares in Nevada, baby. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, uh, that we might discuss that film and what we just spoke with it at some point. I can't a wait. Weird movie. I cannot wait for our Elvis episode. That's one thing. Uh, one one. Genre I have not dove into is Elvis movies, so let's do it. Couple episodes. So we we will we will get into the maybe when Baz Luhrmann's Elvis movie comes out, like a couple weeks before, we should delve into the world. Smart. The millions who read the book club selection Dragonwick know the powerful emotional impact of its many exciting moments. For as the Ladies' Home Journal so daringly promised when it first published Dragonwick, this is a story to thrill the hearts of those who loved Rebecca. Starring Jean Tierney as the woman who seeks love where it is feared to flourish, this unusual, impassioned, romantic drama now comes to the screen with its fascinating plot and its magnetic characters brought vividly to life by a splendid cast, including Walter Houston, Vincent Price, Glenn Langan, Anne Revere, Spring Byington and other outstanding artists. And you like peaches out of season and the feel of silk sheets against your young body. And one day you will wish with all your heart you'd never come to Dragonwick. And now for our first film, we're kind of doing an A picture, B picture thing on old movies for young stoners. So for our A picture, we have Dragonwick, an atmospheric gothic romance from 20th Century Fox in 1946, with Jean Tierney as a Connecticut farm girl whisked away to Dragonwick, Vincent Price's New York estate, where he rules over his tenant farmers like a feudal lord and escapes the sounds of the ghostly piano tunes that haunt him by locking himself in the attic and toking on opium. Also starring Walter Houston as Tierney's devoutly religious father and Harry Morgan as a knife-wielding farmer. Now, okay, guys, like, have, have either of you seen Dragonwick before we did this here? Not, not before. Uh, I, I wasn't even aware of this movie before you had uh, brought it up for this episode. And I have to say, it, um, it took me a couple times to kind of get into this movie I think I believe that I was possibly too high when I first attempted to watch it. And and it led me to the conclusion that this is a fairly advanced old movies for young stoners uh, attempt. Um, I, I would recommend going in with a buddy and, uh, you know, being high with somebody will definitely uh, help you out. Um, I think it's that first. 20 minutes or so where I'm convinced throughout the entire film that being in Dragonwick with a murderous overlord running your life is still preferable to life on that farm with that horrible dad who is just a cartoon of intolerance of religious intolerance and 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 there's so many twists in this movie there's so many like face turns and heel turns and it's like i can't i can't really keep track like it's just 
fairly nuanced movie here, you know, like as much as you hate Vincent Price for being such a, a and he's, he's a magnificent performance in this movie. I mean, it's really, and I have to say, Bob, uh, the promise of, of Vincent Price doing opium was the carrot that, you know, that was dangled in front of me throughout this movie and kind of kept me going. Did it completely deliver on that? Not really. I, I kind of wished I would have seen him take some, take the drugs, you know, you, you really only get it from his great performance, which is amazing. I, I kind of feel like, uh, you know, this movie came out in what, 1946? Yeah. So there was a real missed opportunity on the part of the Warner Brothers animators to not have Vincent Price's character as a villain in a Bugs Bunny cartoon. Because I would love to see Bugs Bunny come out of his hole and have Vincent Price sitting there on his wooden throne, you know, demanding rent from Bugs and have Bugs Bunny eat a oleander carrot cake. You know that it would be like, you eat the cake. No, you ate the cake. I eat the cake. No, I eat the cake. I don't know. This is this movie kind of threw me for a loop. It's it's uh, it's 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 kind of hard to get a, behind anybody fully. But Vincent Price is he's the he is the main attraction for sure. So this is like nobody's chill in this movie. So it's a little it's hard. You know, that's the thing. It's like when you smoke weed, there's just nothing chill about anybody in Dragonwick whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> it's just not chill. There is no well, you know what? It's it's <laughs> it's um the the script is is very accurate about how like not chill that area of New York is. And they yes. keep talking about it. At one point, um Vincent Price's sick wife is like, "I got to get out of here. It's so miserable here in the Catskills." Yeah. And then at one point, someone asks, how is New York, uh, sir? And he's like, unbearable. And it's like, yeah, you know what? It does make you pretty uh, chill over there. So that was good. That was accurate. But I was with yeah. you. I was way too high for this movie. I was what you call <laughs> crossfaded in California. Ah. And this movie was crazy slow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, this is a real ass grandpa movie. It's um, slow. It's and... a grandma movie. <laughs> grandma. Yeah. It's a, gra- yeah, it's a gothic grandma movie. I, I will say it, it, yeah. um, this is what I wish HBO's The Gilded Age was, that The Gilded Age was mm. more like this. And I, I am probably the only person on this panel watching The Gilded Age. But um, yeah, uh, yeah I am not watching that. Bob, OK, but, uh, I, I you know wish <laughs> it's Vincent Price is like his his last name is Van Rijn and the family in The Gilded Age are the Van Rynes. So it's mm. like a generation after Dragonwick. So I kind of see Dragonwick as a prequel. And I, I just want Cynthia Nixon to start start taking opium because she can't deal with hearing the sound of her great grandmother's piano playing. I, it needs more of that. Okay. So uh-huh. that part, and I'm with you, Greg, the tonal shifts in this and the heel turns mm-hmm. are there. There are quite a bit of them. And um, I don't even know. Well, first of all, I want to say there's no dragons in this movie at all, which totally no. confused me. Um, yes. I was like, why is she at dragon wick? What's happening? You know, like, uh, <laughs> um, so there's a lot of tonal shifts. There's yeah. a political statement in this movie mm-hmm. and I think it's anti-landlord, but maybe not. I can't tell. Um, and that's cool. There's a ghost in the attic in this movie that plays harpsichord, mm-hmm. but like what, where does that, where does, that doesn't really lead anywhere. Does it? Um, yeah. there is opium, but so there's a lot of tonal shifts in this movie and it's, it's, uh, it's a couple different, uh, movies in one um so it's confusing when you're too high 
this but bob this is the perfect movie for this for this show this is someone i would never watch and i love seeing this prestige uh piece with vincent price just totally killing it and lighting up the screen and i noticed he didn't get top billing and uh, was he yeah. a star was he famous was he famous at okay. this point he was basically a lead supporting player a main support in movies he was not a horror star yet. This movie is like the mm-hmm. blueprint for all the Roger Corman Poe films he did. They, It seems like, oh, this is the movie Vincent Price always does, but this is the first time that he did that. He's a, mm-hmm. a creepy patriarch in an old house, and he's going crazy because of ghosts, ghosts of his dead wife, ghosts of relatives. It's, it's like a pattern in all the Poe films. Price had had played the invisible man in the sequel the invisible man returns he was under contract at universal for a while he was a big star on the broadway stage so everybody in hollywood wanted him even though he was always like taking time off to go back to new york and do stage work or do his art tours there was Vincent Price had a lot of baggage that might have stopped him from becoming a leading man. And also he was a feat. So they were putting him in as like villains. He got a lot of villain roles. Uh, Jean Tierney gets top billing here, but she was Fox's biggest star. And remember, Hollywood women were tops in Hollywood then. Uh, yeah. They might have still been like exploited and treated like shit behind the scenes and, mm-hmm. and gaslit at every opportunity, but they were what what drew people into theaters. So Jean Tierney was Fox's biggest star. Her and Vincent Price did six films. Uh, Vincent Price is like her cad boyfriend and Laura, Otto Preminger's noir. Mm-hmm. Probably their most famous film together. Um, they're also in Lever to Heaven, which is great. Gene Tierney's totally crazy in that movie. Vincent Price is like her ex-boyfriend, district attorney, who's bears down on Cornell Wilde. So they had a series of films together, Tierney and, and Price. But Price was not a horror star yet. That happened with House of Wax in 1953 which will bring us to our next film well she's great in this movie too i mean both of them are acting Mm -hmm. their their asses off again her energy is so unchilled she just radiates everything she wants in her face like when she looks up and imagines a life away from this shitty fucking farm it's 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 palpable you can really feel her need bosley crowther wrote a pretty scathing review of dragonwick in the new york times when this came out and he pans Jean Tierney. He called her cardboard. He called her like a, a, a didn't do anything with the character. I couldn't disagree more. I think she's really great. But again, the energy is just so intense. <laughs> yeah, it really is. Unchill is so good. It's yeah. such a good descriptor for this movie. Well, what's good about this movie is the cinematography and the acting, right? It's so beautiful yeah. to look at. There's those the two scenes that stood out to me visually was, you know, just the classic gothic rain storm and, and Vincent Price standing there in the window scene, which is iconic. I think, you know, so many people probably mm-hmm. copied that. And then there's the scene where um, Gene Tierney is walking up the stairs into the, the haunted room and there's just those shadows and it's so beautiful. And the mansion, Dragonwick itself is quite impressive. It's one of those, I hate to say this, it's one of those, uh, the mansion is also a character in the movie. You know, what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> it's a, it's a, it's a great mansion. And I, I, I still stand by my reaction that anytime the movie's in Dragonwick, I'm feeling a lot more comfortable being really high. And anytime that that fucking father of Gene Tierney's, that character is so 
you think he's going to be the heel, you he's know, such a dick. <laughs> but of course, this movie just fucking has to act like this beautiful, weird ad- ad- adventure of Gene Tierney's character is nowhere near as preferable to life on this stullifying farm under the thumb of this patriarch that's the thing about it is acting like an asshole is a virtue you you're at a party with a bunch of these like rich bitches who are like kind of snooty and instead of just leaving you have to go like well i'm for good people and you all suck and then walk off that's the play you know you could just leave if i was at that party i'd probably be stoned and just figure like oh you know whatever and like, where's the where's the the, the tray of uh, of hors d'oeuvres? It's one of those things where um, nobody's no, no nobody's good in this movie, right? You know? And, and what's what's the what's the conceit? What's the moral? Is it that like you should never leave your house and all yeah. and obey God, or else your life will be haunted? I thought yeah, it was like going to be a I thought it was going to be like a sick anti landlord liberal movie at first. You know what I mean? And it's like, well, wait a second. So Especially it's it's confusing. When- <laughs> yeah, and when Vincent Price speaks so eloquently about his uh, atheism, he's saying stuff like, oh, God just wants to pay attention to like these little ants in his garden. So great. That's one of his face turns in the movie for me. It's like when he starts like going like, yeah, your dad's an idiot. <laughs> you know? <laughs> I don't know. Wal- Walter Houston in this, I-, I guess I'm seeing more of a glass half full with him. Because mm-hmm. it's like, wow, he's a Christian who cares about modesty and like democracy and redistribution of wealth. And I'm like, you know, I, right. I mean, I don't want to live <laughs> on that farm with him either. I mean, no. don't get me wrong, but I'm like, God, I, I, I miss these kinds. Of, I wish there were a few more of these kinds of Christians. Exactly. Exactly. Nobody's great in this movie and everybody's kind <laughs> of, you could say the same thing about Vincent Price. It's like, yes. He is this large adult son of his inherited wealth and has done absolutely nothing and yet is also murderous. And yet at the same time, philosophically, he's the most well-spoken guy. He has his head quite on his shoulders when it comes to spiritual matters. So, you know, like, I don't know. There's a glass half empty thing with him, too. I guess it's complex characters if you think about it you know what i mean maybe some subtle writing here that is like uh life is just maybe it's just like a chill hangout movie man like cheech and chong or something (laughs) um, going back to gilded age with all the concepts that this movie is juggling between gothic the gothic romance the haunting the kind of horror uh horror elements of it the mystery elements of it and the social political elements of it because it's about these rent uprisings of these tenant farmers and this actually happened and it was a shooting war for a while i had to read just in case Corey asked me about this i i read up on the (laughs) rent war of you know 1845 now i know what a patroon is yeah like there were these feudal dutch lords up there sitting in their wooden throne getting tribute and and there was a revolt against them and that's what morgan represents all that being said, I'm almost like, I hate, you know, everybody says this now where it's like, this would be better as a series. But I think maybe, I don't know if the book <laughs> Dragon Wick is any good, but maybe an eight part HBO series to just juggle all of those different things in this David Simon kind of way that uh, an eight or 10 episode series can do might be warranted. There might be room for that with this mm. material. I ain't watching that. I could barely stay interested in the, in the Logan Roy family on Succession, okay? <laughs> 
wouldn't succession be better with ghosts <laughs> hell yeah ghosts it need, that needs ghosts too all these things need ghosts okay i, uh, I think dragon wick needed some more ghosts so those were by far my what happened what was the lead what was the end result of having a haunted the end result <laughs> well it, it it's it's that uh vincent price finally heard the ghosts right because he's part of the family and 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 her character can't hear the ghost because she's just not part of the the you know thank the you lineage. <laughs> thank you so for holding my hand through that plot that's point. that's 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 like what it is and so it also tells you that atheism is wrong that god <laughs> is real that it ghosts exists there is life after death and the best you can hope for is haunting a fucking harpsichord that for for eternity if you are uh, uh if you're one of these fucking patroons just to, to let everyone know uh, bob picked a, a real like greg said a really advanced one this is a fancy lad movie with with women in bonnets and people in bloomers mm -hmm. and top hats and giving tribute to patroons so this is like some real real grandma gothic stuff and uh, uh tread tread lightly I would recommend a hybrid weed by far, you know, and I would not recommend crossfading as Corey did. No, uh, that would that that's the thing. It's like you kind of need the alertness of a sativa. You 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 kind of need to chill the fuck out like with a, a an indica. And, and again, like I said, I would bring a buddy, somebody that you can kind of talk about this movie with is really key because. It's advanced in the way that it's not for the dabbler. If you're like an occasional stoner that kind of is interested in classic movies, I wouldn't start with Dragonwick. You got to be either really into weed or really into old movies or or both to 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 dive into this one. I agree. Uh, you need to be alert and not too faded on this. So I recommend yeah. um, the actual the the pen that I that I smoked would have been good without crossfading. It is a dome pen. These are the cheap disposable pens, and I got the Pineapple Coast, which is like a sativa mm. dominant hybrid. So exactly, yeah. it keeps you alert. It's good for daytime, and that's what's good for Dragonwick. So you could figure out all these plot points and all these characters. I, I have some things to say about the weed because out oh, when we were planning the episode, I asked. Uh, Corey for a weed recommendation and he recommended Hulkberry which I went mm. and got when I watched Dragon Wick I, I smoked a couple of hits of it right before I started it and then a couple of more hits halfway through and the one thing I could say about Hulkberry is it did that thing that I really like weed to do where I started paying attention to weird stuff like there's that scene when Walter Houston and Gene Tierney are in the hotel and the busboys or the bellhops come right up. They just appear like a Warner Brothers cartoon and he gets all bad at them. And that was mm. really funny to me. Like I, I've seen it before. <laughs> I would have never, not being stoned, I would have never focused in on that. And then there's the excellent scene. It's after Gene Tierney tells off all the gossipy Bettys that are all like, you know, all giving her the hi-hat. You and don't know Victoria Skirmerhorn? The skirmahorns. They come up and they come up and kill the age too. I'm like, it's those damn skirmahorns. Oh my god. Uh, yeah. Skirmerhorn is an old school New York name. Like oh yeah, family. I don't doubt it. It's all it's all those <laughs> Dutch families like the Roosevelts. But uh Vincent Price does the waltz with her. And you can see everybody fill in behind. It's this great piece of crowd direction from Joseph Mankiewicz, the director. This is his first film. And like everybody, like their faces, like they all kind of fill in the frame behind them and their faces are all like, oh my God, look at that. How terrible. I can't believe this is happening. 
Yeah, uh-huh. but they all crowd in to see them. Like in the background, is they the waltz is kind of a perfect dance for this because you're going in circles all over the place. The weed, I, I wasn't drinking. I wanted to be sure I wasn't like already kind of drunk when I watched it and when I smoked it. I wanted to feel the Hulkberry. And I did, and it gave me that weed sensation. That's one of the things I look for in watching movies. Getting high and watching movies, that's what I want, is to kind of focus on weird stuff like that. Nice. And I want to say, this is like a joint movie. This I don't think this, you're not going to do any dabs of a whole bear. You're not going to want to vape giant clouds. It's, a, it's like a couple hits of the joint, let it mellow, maybe take another couple hits. I think that's a perfect recommendation. Now, Bob, this is uh, Joseph Mankiewicz wrote and directed this. This isn't Mank that the David Fincher movie Mank is about, is it? It is his younger brother. Thanks. Uh, okay. The Mank, and he is the great uncle of Ben Mankiewicz, who is host on TCM. I'm sure some of our listeners, maybe yeah, sure. all of our listeners uh, are right now uh, are familiar with him. So it's the big Mankiewicz and there family. There was a political, uh, uh, the, 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 the Robert F. Kennedy um, connection with the Mankiewicz as well. Uh, yeah, I think he might be another great uncle of Ben. You Different know. one. What a family. I'm William Castle, and I feel obligated to warn you about the next attraction you will see at this theater. The picture is The Tingler, which I directed. And for the first time in motion picture history, members of the audience, including you, will actually play a part in the picture. You will feel some of the physical reactions, the shocking sensations experienced by the actors on the screen. I guarantee that The Tingler has more shocks per minute than my last film, The House on Haunted Hill. But don't be alarmed. You can protect yourself. When you see the picture, you will be told and remember the instruction how you can guard yourself from attack by the Tingler. And now may I show you a few scenes from the Tingler? And yes, the Tingler, the magnum opus from William Castle, King of the Gimmicks. For this one, the shocks were all too real as Castle had movie theater seats rigged with electric motors that would jolt the audience. We've got Vincent Price shooting liquid LSD and going into delirious pantomimes, all as part of his experiments into human fear and this weird worm-like creature that will crush your spine unless you scream, scream as if your life depended on it. Now, I, I just took a stab at the plot here in the mm-hmm. copy there yeah uh, does this movie even have a plot yes it does this movie well look that intro is incredible and i've i've always heard about william castle i mm-hmm. i remember that john goodman movie when i was a kid called matinee mm-hmm. which was like based on him and i just oh it's the gimmick guy i didn't know like i i never even thought to watch these movies because they were just seemed like gimmicks right that's what they were sold to me as as, as a kid this movie was so fun right from the get-go. Gosh, that opening scene with William Castle coming out and warning you about the movie and then the, the faces screaming, that is like the trippy shit from, from Vertigo or something. You know what I mean? Like it was pretty mm-hmm. clever, clever visually. And uh, I was sucked in right away. And then it just jumps you right into this, uh, smash cuts you right into Vincent Price being this creepy ass doctor. And yeah, he's here's the plot. Are you ready, Bob? This doctor wants to find this thing in your spine that uh, that that lives in your spine that only comes out when you're scared. 
and uh, he's got to get it out. And the only way he could get it out is if someone dies without screaming. That's the plot. <laughs> I paid attention this time. Way easier than Dragonwick. So much oh easier my God. than Dragonwick. <laughs> Yo, yes, exactly. This is just such a great film. Like, I, I think that this is what the, the show is all about. I, I look back on the pandemic and I don't think there has been a movie that I have seen that made me miss the, the theatrical experience more than the tingler did when I watched it this week. There's something about that, that communal feeling that, you know, you don't really get to see the tingler the way it was meant to be seen. You don't get to see it in a theater, especially not with a joy buzzer in your seat anymore. Although I do believe that there are a bunch of theaters throughout the country that have seats that like jiggle and and move. With They're called the, the, the D box or something like that. Yes, there's something <laughs> called that, which is like, why are they just not showing the tingler every day and letting everybody experience that? The, here's the thing. People argue about whether or not Marvel movies are cinema. The tingler is cinema. It is. It is a th- about the experience of seeing a movie in a theater. It fucks with you in a way, in a very stoner friendly way of thinking about the movie that you are watching is happening around you. And that Vincent Price is up in the projection booth while a tingler is running amok in the theater. The tingler is cinema. They even... It, just pay attention to the movie. It they put the tingler in a film can, like the tingler is film. That's what this whole thing is. This movie came out before Persona, like six seven years before Persona came out. Ingmar Bergman definitely saw the tingler. He definitely ripped off all of its best ideas when he made that movie Persona. This is a precursor. This is a this is a this is an exceptionally thematically rich film. This is art, an art film disguised as a cheap, bullshit, gimmicky throwaway. And, and the Tingler's even loose in a silent movie theater. He's It's loose in <laughs> a theater showing film history. Oh, these old movies, you don't need the talking. You don't need to hear. Yeah. <laughs> I was so exactly. high. I was so high. I was like, man, there's a way there's way so many layers to this meta commentary on cinema that I can't even comprehend right now. And I'm not even going to try. <laughs> but yeah it's it's very it's highbrow lowbrow it's highbrow low art right it's like it's like really kind of intelligent uh shit in a way it's so good this movie kicks so much ass not only does it have all that fun ass meta commentary on going to the movies mm-hmm. the monster is sick the tingler is like totally scary oh, yeah. looking. the monster uh during one of the okay L- there's lsd in this movie bob is this the first oh my God. lsd in movies ever <laughs> it, it might be you know i didn't even i didn't even think of like if lsd is mentioned in any other movies if there might be a noir where they shoot somebody up with it to get them to talk you know the, yeah right. the narcosynthesis thing that turns up in a lot of noirs but this might be <laughs> the first time lsd is like mentioned by name by brand name Oh, another thing that elevates this movie from <laughs> just brand. schlock is, of course, Vincent Price's uh, performance, which oh my God. it's on the level of Dragonwick. He really commits to this pretty shitty, stupid dialogue. I feel like William Castle's really lucky to have Vincent Price in this movie. You know what I mean? Like he's totally oh, yeah. he's totally bringing it 
in this movie. And thank you, Bob, for for showing these movies, because for someone like me, Vincent Price was just always around since I was a baby from the Michael Jackson video. Mm in mm-hmm. uh you know the muppets the muppets edward scissorhands yeah. uh brady bunch and mm-hmm. i never really thought of him as a real ass actor and it's a joy to get to discover that how he really lights up the screen uh, but the rest of the supporting cast is great too the silent film owner and his deaf mute wife are like really great to watch he was what philip coolidge is the actor's name the 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 guy who owns the silent movie theater the owner of the silent movie theater and he was what I zeroed in on because I've seen at least bits of this movie over and over again. It's usually on TCM uh, around Halloween and I'll watch half of it. But um, I was zeroed in on him because he like walks in on Vincent Price doing an autopsy. Price is doing an autopsy and he's all like, oh, hey, why don't you be my best friend? Come to my silent movie theater. Yeah, sure, I'll let you do experiments <laughs> on my deaf mute wife. That's okay. <laughs> so fucking crazy. That's such a dumb thing to way to write story, and it works. Love the way there's so much of this like pseudoscience, you know, gobbledygook. So much dialogue about the effect of fear on death, and then at the end of all it, he's like, "I think I'll call it the Tingler." You know, yeah, like that's this this brilliant this brilliant it. doctor <laughs> is calling it. Oh, my new thing's called the Tingler. Like, what? You're a brilliant doctor. But um, Ed Wood also <laughs> filled his movies with a bunch of gobbledygook. Oh yeah. Like, I guess it's just like a way to like fill a script out, right? There's <laughs> I, a lot I, of it in here. I and the movie it, is still only an hour long. Yeah. Oh, it is at that sweet spot of an hour and twenty two minutes, and it, it goes by like that. Yeah, I found an interview with Rob White, who is the the scriptwriter of The Tingler. And mm-hmm. he talks about working with Castle, bitches about working with Castle, really. And he said, well, you know, Bill Castle had some guy who could make this mechanical worm creature. And so that's what he wanted. He wanted it to be <laughs> called The Tingler, and he wanted there to be a mechanical worm creature. And we had some leftover props from House on Haunted Hill that had to be in the movie, too. And so that's why you get that sequence where they're terrifying the deaf-mute wife. And, mm-hmm. and there's like the the kind of ape hand with the hatchet that that's also in House on Haunted Hill, and it was like William yeah. Castle bought these things for twelve bucks, and they had to be in every movie that I did with him. That was like the, <laughs> that was the that, those were the notes. We need the worm thing. We need these other props, and whatever you want to do, do it. That blood in the bathtub with the with the sink with the red, and it's the only red. And if you're high and you're kind of going like whoa this is a black and white movie that has red blood in it that's fucking trippy i was going whoa how do they do this you know how I mean? do they do it i know and I know. i'm i'm with you the only I, time you've ever said it how did they do it in a william castle movie <laughs> It was it's startling, yeah. though. It is. And it looks incredible. It looks amazing. Yeah. Even on the shitty transfer I was watching on 2B TV, it looked mm. so creepy and cool. And I'm like, I want a poster of this framed in my room, this hand coming out of that. I, I rented it on Amazon and the uh, it's like three bucks. And the picture was fantastic. Uh, I, rec- I recommend that if you have three bucks to spare. I suggest watching it after hooking up electrodes to your couch. But yeah, even without the gimmicks, this movie is so fun. It goes by fast. Yeah. It totally kicks ass. It has acid in it. Cool music, too. Cool score. 
Von um, Dexter, uh, definitely like speaking of Vertigo, this movie came out in like 59. I think, I think Vertigo was a few years before that. Definitely pick up like some Bernard Herman, you know, vibes from the score at times. It's just like they just, Von Dexter's shameless, right? Just, just, just straight up use it. And Von it Dexter really is the is the composer. Yes, I I, I yeah, just I like noticed it. his name in that swanky like space age font that they use, and it was just like this is I understand the '90s now. You know, seeing the, <laughs> the opening credits to the Tingler. <laughs> um, the final, and I mean, I won't spoil the ending, but the artistic choice at the very end before the, 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 the end mm-hmm. title card is really cool too. And it makes you pumped and it's like, yeah, the jingler. So just yeah. a, good, a good movie and it's available everywhere. It's kind of a pastiche in some ways because I do, you know, like I pick up notes of vertigo. I also noticed that the somewhat, some of the beginning is a little bit, um, reminiscent of night of the hunter just this disembodied what? you know <laughs> the disembodied heads like oh, I get staring it. Oh, yeah. out at yeah. you you know and it's like kind of like trippy you know um filmmaking for sure i i, I feel like this movie is got to be an influence on not only bergman but the tarantinos of the world the influence on this movie is vast mm-hmm. you can tell like you said john waters always talks about this movie oh, and yeah. like how it changed his life and i think he used to like see it over and over again and like pick the same seat and um, find the seat you watch it and you could see like oh if you were a little kid and you saw this movie it changed your life i see a lot of yeah i see a lot of tricks that later people like sam raimi did and um Mm -hmm. uh, oh there's the one trick during the 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 scene in the movie theater where the projection the the film gets cut by the tingler and then it's, it's the tingler you can see its shadow on the on the screen yeah, yeah. and that uh joe dante ripped that off for gremlins too and i'm like oh that's the gremlins uh-huh. two trick oh you know fucking bergman ripped it off <laughs> oh for, yeah for, of for course persona. like persona, you, you yeah. know the, like for persona I, like, Gre- oh, yeah, gremlins two is my persona so. <laughs> <laughs> yes <laughs> um castle did have a chip on his shoulder about hitchcock uh-huh. And even though he later shamelessly rips off Hitchcock with homicidal, but he he has this chip on his shoulder because Hitchcock could do his TV show and he could do these dry introductions mm-hmm. and and yuck it up and still be respected as a great filmmaker. Where William Castle felt that like he was just always going to be considered the bottom of the barrel of why can why can Hitchcock get away with it and I can't? You know, yeah. He he had mm-hmm. a little bit of an axe to grind against Hitch. That's interesting. Yeah, I mean, Hitch was the ultimate showman in that in that capacity, and and of course, William Castle doesn't have the the charisma nor the quite the filmmaking chops of a Hitchcock. But I mean, there's something about just the raw creativity. There's something about the inventiveness of this of this film. There's it, it's it's pioneering in its own way. I I I kind of like. I wish that that. Uh, Hitchcock didn't make William Castle feel so insecure. Uh, what weed would you recommend with this, guys? Well, for the Tingler, I consumed a gummy. I consumed a wild brand, W-Y-L-D, Huckleberry gummy, and it tasted amazing, made with natural juices. And it was 10 milligrams. I actually consumed two of these. 
And uh, I think this was perfect because this is a trippy movie. It's fun. And mm-hmm. I just melted into the couch and totally was consumed with the not the world of the Tingler, but like the filmmaking aspects of the Tingler. It was fun. And uh, I I do recommend eating a couple gummies for this one. The weed that I would recommend for this movie is weed. You you when you used to buy weed, you didn't know what kind it was. You would just smoke a ton of it in the car before you went into the movie, and it was perfect. I would recommend maybe going to your car to smoke weed before you watch The Tingler. You can't go wrong. You really can't. Dealer's choice when it comes to the to the weed. So Greg recommends two fingers across the bag of brick weed from Mexico in your the back of your friend's Dotson before watching yes. The Tingler. I, I did I did gummies on this one too. Nice. Oh wow, twinsies. Yeah, I, I bought the Hulkberry gummies because I'm like, oh, maybe ah. you should take the gummies. And I was at my like swank posh works retreat, which I was not ready to be at. I was not ready to be around this many people yet. Mm-hmm. And uh so I had consumed the gummy when I was still dealing with my coworkers. But it's like when you you never know when the gummy's gonna hit. It could be an hour, it could be two hours. So yeah. while I was still in public, I felt like I was about to turn into the a werewolf, like the, the full moon was going to come up and I'm like trying to get away from these people and go back to my hotel room and sit there and, and trip out and watch the tingler. And that, that, that Hulkberry, it made me focus on mm. Philip Coolidge. It made me focus on the movie theater owner, which I'm usually just, you know, Vincent Price is going to misdirect me to look at him the whole time because he's usually what I watch. And I was just watching that guy. You know, I was really like, what's up? Wait a second. Like, he's okay, fine. Just experiment on my life. Uh, Whatever you say, Doc, you know. (laughs) Oh, God, I know. I know. And I love how Vincent Price, like, just waves a gun in front of his own, like, adulterous wife and experiments on her. And she wakes up because it was just a blank. And 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 she's just like, you asshole and doesn't do anything about it. The Tingler is available for free with ads almost anywhere and everywhere. You can find it on Tubi, Pluto, Crackle, the Roku channel, or shell out a few extra dollars to rent it from Prime or Apple TV if you like throwing money at Tech Giant. (laughs) I like it. To recap, our A picture from earlier, Dragonwick, is available from the Criterion channel and YouTube. Greg and I both recommend a sativa-dominant hybrid for this one. So that wraps up episode two of Old Movies for Young Stoners. Now, we've done lots of weird and even disturbing films here so far, but we haven't done anything that's out-and-out trippy. We hope to rectify that in two weeks as we venture into the magic kingdom of Disney Plus for two of the most psychedelic pieces of propaganda ever produced with three caballeros and Mars and beyond. That's all right here on Old Movies for Young Stoners. So that wraps up. (laughs) Greg's all fucking coughing up a lung. Oh, shit. Sorry, guys. Please don't be. Please don't be sorry. All this audio is really good. Yeah, you should just please. I can put it at the very, I'll put, I'll put Greg coughing at the very end. Okay. Yes. I was going to make sure. (laughs)